don't feel like Kellogg is looked at as trying to force their ideas on us. They're just allowing us the freedom and the finances to be able to test out new ways. On this episode of Philanthropy and Social Movements, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation in Jackson, Mississippi. I'm Phoenix McLaughlin. I'm Katie Stunslick. And I'm Dee Polk. Jackson is Mississippi's largest city and state capital. In late 2017, its public school system was at risk of being taken over by the state government. By the state's standards, the district was failing. And according to Mississippi's education laws, that meant the state could take direct control of the school system's administration. Jackson residents did not want that to happen and the state knew it could become too much to handle. Then the W.K. Kellogg Foundation stepped in. They're one of the country's largest foundations with an endowment approaching $8 billion and have a huge presence in Mississippi. With their help, Jackson worked out a different solution with the state. Instead of the state taking over, the city, state, and Kellogg formed a commission to lead changes to Jackson Public Schools. It was called the Better Together Commission, or BTC. The BTC was a 15-member committee made up of community members, educators, and policymakers selected by the mayor's office, the state, and Kellogg. Their first task was to lead a community engagement process to find out what changes Jackson residents wanted to see in the schools. Building from there, they commissioned a study to pinpoint specific needs of the system and recommend what to do next. With those steps completed, the BTC dissolved and handed the reins back to the school system to implement the changes, now under a new superintendent and school board. The Kellogg Foundation committed $3 million at the start of the commission and continues to provide funding for the school system to carry out the recommendations. The layers of politics, history, and race surrounding the Jackson Public Schools made this a special case for understanding the nuances of philanthropic work. For this podcast, we wanted to get a sense of how the BTC and Kellogg's involvement was felt by the community and what impact it ultimately had. So we spoke to two people close to the work. First, we'll hear from Michelle Henry. Michelle is a parent with four children still in Jackson Public Schools, and she sits on the district's P-16 Community Engagement Council and the PTA. Through those roles, she was able to be heavily involved with the community engagement side of the Better Together Commission. She walked us through the context of education in Jackson and Mississippi writ large, how the community viewed the Kellogg Foundation, and the impact of the BTC. Here is Michelle Henry. When you heard about the BTC, especially as a parent that's very involved, what did you think? What was your reaction? Venus, I don't know if you remember, but prior to the Better Together Commission, the school district had put together what what was supposed to be academies at every high school. That's right. And so the academy got my whole attention because mm-hmm. not only were we going to be not only were we going to be preparing students for higher education, but we would also be emp- empowering them for enlistment or entrepreneurship or whatever. And so and so, I was very excited about the academies. Better Together Commission seems like a step above the academies. It not only gave the school district an opportunity to do school differently, but it also gave the community a voice 
in how school was going to be done in the city of Jackson. And would you say, kind of a follow-up on that, I guess, would you say that a lot of parents shared that perspective with you? And, you know, what was the community's perception of it? How did they feel about it? So the city of Jackson is predominantly African-American. And our governor at that time, Phil Bryant, was a Caucasian governor. The superintendent of education for the state of Mississippi is is Caucasian. The predominance of the race of the members of the State Board of Education is Caucasian. So in an African-American city where we have an African-American lawyer and our children who attend the public school system are predominantly African-American, African-Americans in the city of Jackson were upset about Caucasians telling them how to raise their children or that, or saying based on a set of standards that we did not create that we are doing a poor job in educating our children. Mm. So because of that, you had a lot of people who were eager to participate in the process. And I phrased my answer in that manner because race played a big part in why people participated. That narrative that I just shared with you was a narrative that was shared, not necessarily from the school district, but from some community leaders. And because of that, that was like a fire that was lit up on the community. For me, whatever took the fire to light community to be more involved and engaged in the public education of their children, I was all for it. <laughs> I did not always support the narrative. However, if it got people to be more involved and engaged in what was going on in the public school system in the city of Jackson, first and foremost, and then in the state of Mississippi, I was all for it. I, I feel like there's some um, some words, and I know a little bit of the context. I wasn't raised in Jackson, but I, I, having been there for a little bit, I understand. I did want to sort of give you space to dig into that a little bit more if you wanted to, um, because I, I it's very important. These folks here at, at my school don't understand the nuances of JPS and how JPS interacts with MDE how MDE interacts with the governor uh, and just politics in general. And especially when we talk about Jackson, Jackson is predominantly black. And the idea and the notion of having these these politicians and these these people within uh, situations of power dictate how how their children are supposed to be raised is something that is especially not going to fly in Jackson. And so I wonder if, you, if you're willing to sort of dig a little bit deeper into that so that we, you can educate us up here uh, about what that situation is. Sure. So the Brown, Brown versus Board of Education was in 1954. And in 1954, public schools in the state of Mississippi, and especially in the city of Jackson, were not, were not integrated. Public schools in Jackson Public School District did not become integrated until 1972. That is almost 20 years after Brown versus Board of Education. Between that time, state leaders, prominent businessmen created what is known as council schools to avoid having to follow the law that said that their children were supposed to integrate with African-American children. And because of that, uh, and when they did decide to leave, they took their money too. And so they left the dilapidated school buildings. They left lack of textbooks. If you get an opportunity to come to Jackson 
and to tour the civil rights, the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum, there is a whole exhibit regarding public education. And I would challenge you all to take that tour if you ever get a chance to. And so once African-Americans were allowed to integrate the Jackson Public School District, there was white flight. And when white flight went to the private schools and created what is now known as the voucher system, all of that started here in Mississippi. And so public education is a hotbed and has been a hotbed for half a century here in Mississippi. And race is the underlying reason for public education being a hotbed. Having said all of that, history tends to repeat itself if we don't pay attention. And so that is a push button for African-Americans whenever it comes to public education. We are underfunded. Our governors, who, when he was sworn in, our previous governor, rather, when he was sworn in as governor, stated that he would work for all citizens of the great state of Mississippi and follow the Constitution of the state of Mississippi. And yet he publicly supported voucher systems and charter schools, which take away from our public school system, the way the legislature, the legislation in Mississippi is set up. And so Mississippi is a special state, not just because I live here, but because it has fought tooth and nail, systematically has fought public education and the education of African-American children. And because of that, that is a hot topic here in the state of Mississippi, and especially in the city of Jackson. And especially because in 2017, we were on the heels of not only was the state trying to take over our public education system, but the state was also trying to take over our city airport. It was trying to take over our 1% tax money that we voted to utilize to assist us in the infrastructure of our city of Jackson because the state refused to allow federal dollars to come to us. And so all of that was building up at the same time that we were fighting for our children. So that just made a big, nasty gumbo. Real quick, and, I, and this is the last question. Uh, I just have to get it out there because it's so unique. Jackson is surrounded by uh, private schools. So you got like Jackson Academy, you got uh, those like St. Andrews. And I was trying to explain it to people because it's, there are more, it seems like there's more private schools in and around Jackson than there are schools in Jackson. And so I was wondering if you could comment a little bit on that dynamic as well. Um, I spoke earlier regarding the council schools. If you trace Jackson Academy, Jackson Prep, uh, Hillcrest Christian. As a matter of fact, Hillcrest Christian, which is a surrounding school, was actually a council school. All of them really were council schools, but Hillcrest Christian was a council school that educated the previous governor, Phil Bryan. And they would start all of our council schools, and I didn't want to mention this part, but all of our council schools were started by the Ku Klux Klan. Mm. So, and those schools are still in existence today. And they don't hide their history and they embrace their history. As a matter of fact, this is the second, we have a new governor now, Governor Tate Reeves. This is the second consecutive governor who has named April as Confederate Heritage Month. The entire month. The entire month of April. And so that is what 
we deal with. Not only do we deal with that on that side of it, on the political side of it, but let's look at the media side of it. So education in the city of Jackson is portrayed in the media differently than education in the surrounding counties. So whenever there is a discipline issue or a fight or whatever, you clearly say Jackson Public School District. On the news, you show the child's face or the parent's face. All of that is portrayed in the news. But when it's in Madison County or Rankin County, those surrounding counties of the city of Jackson, then it becomes the Jackson area student. And so we have people who pay attention to that and we have people who don't. Because what they'll see is, and then you can always tell if it's, if the Jackson area student is really a county kid because there's no picture being shown. And all of that plays into how our children perceive themselves. Because if we encourage our children to, to watch the news and stay up to par on hot topics, they see that. They also see that surrounding counties the Rubik's gets changed so that the surrounding counties can be successful school districts. And Jackson Public School District is always called to be failing. You may not know this, but the State Department of Education has declared that at least 17 school districts will be failing. Mm. That is mandated in state law. Mm. 17, I think it's, um, and I may be off on the number, but they have mandated that a certain number of school districts will be failing. What does that say to students who are in that school district? No matter how hard you work, no matter what you do, you will be a failing school district. How has BTC sort of been seen and like now that it's done? Because you told me that it's, it's all done now. Um, that process has flayed itself out. How did the community sort of view uh, the work after it was done and how now that it, now that the, the phase one is done, I know it's in phase two. Can you just talk a little bit about how the, it's taking all that stuff in? So one of the, one of the activities of the Better Together Commission was, like I said, to gather community ideas on what, how did they view the Jackson Public School District? What would they do differently for Jackson Public School District? and what would be the work that they would commit to. Mm -hmm. So we, um, through the help of One Voice, which is a um, political arm of the the Mississippi NAACP here in Jackson. Uh, I'm not going to say a political arm, but they're, anyway, One Voice. Through the help of One Voice, BTC hired, and Kellogg hired um, members of the community to go out and survey residents in the city of Jackson. So all seven wards were hit. We approached over 50,000 households um, to gather information on those three areas I spoke of earlier regarding Jackson Public School District. Out of that work, the a framework was put together and passed on to the Jackson Public School District on what community felt was strengths, and weaknesses of Jackson Public Schools and what community was willing to do to assist them. Because of that, JPS hired a new superintendent. The new superintendent created um, mission statements, 
based around equity. Last year, under Dr. Green, our school district um, raised its accreditation. So our accountability standards, we were an unsuccessful school district. We are now almost a successful school district, meaning that we went from an F to a high, a low C or a high D. I can't remember exactly Mm -hmm. what it was. And so, and that's on an upswing. That was phase two of the work. And we are, community is very happy with it. Community has, is, you see an increase in the number of school board meetings. I have personally seen an increase in the number of parents who are attending PTA. Um, From the P-16 side, I've also seen the P-16 has held different listening sessions throughout the city regarding policy. And I see more parents coming in, and I'm not using this word derogatory, but I see more parents coming in educated regarding the policies of Jackson Public Schools. So to me, that's a success. And that is in part to the work of the Better Together Commission. Obviously, the, the, the Better Together Commission formed as its third option, but really the, the key player behind formulating this third option was the Kellogg uh, Foundation. And so I wonder if, if you can comment upon the role or, or basically how the community looks at Kellogg. Does the community look at Kellogg as being like a big power player do they think that Kellogg is encroaching at all? How does the community sort of view uh, the Kellogg Foundation? Do you remember the uh, movie Annie? Mm-hmm. Remember Annie was an orphan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Daddy Warbucks came in, saved Annie and Sandy. <laughs> Annie and Sandy got to go and live in the big house and have a wonderful life. So, so the Kellogg Foundation is kind of like Daddy Warbucks. The Kellogg Foundation has lots of money, and Jackson and the state of Mississippi is just one of the many areas that they have invested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the Kellogg Foundation prior to the Better Together Commission had always invested in Jackson Public Schools. So they were no stranger to us, mm-hmm. and they, we do not see them as a savior because the work has to be done by us. But the work has to be funded. Mm. And who better to fund it than Kellogg? And so <laughs> that, is, uh, that is the perception of a lot of community um, members is that Kellogg is a partner in Jackson Public Schools because they have partnered with us for many years. Not a stranger to us at all, which is why there was, it was a no-brainer that Kellogg would step in and assist in funding the um, be- the work of the Better Together Commission. Do you feel like Kellogg has really listened to the community and what the community wants, or do you feel like at times they're trying to exert their opinions on how public schools should be in Jackson? I ask that only because um, I know in like Newark and New Jersey, uh, there was another foundation that came in and they had a bunch of opinions about how schools should be run and that didn't quite vibe well. So I'm just curious about that dynamic uh, down in Jackson. The perception of Kellogg and Jackson is partner. And it's a true partnership because they require, yes, they require stuff of us, but they also give as much as they require. So I don't believe that the perception is that they are forcing their ideas on us. I think that they provide the um, community not just Jackson Public Schools, but the community with the opportunity to 
test out different ways of educating. See, as a member of Jackson, as a parent in Jackson, I feel like I know what's best for my children because I know them. And because I know them, I can tell you that this one reads better if when there's light. This one reads better when there's music played. You know, I know that because those are my children. Now, every once in a while, my mom comes along and says, oh, buy the kids something for school. She doesn't tell me what to buy. She just gives me the money. <laughs> and I think that's how the Kellogg Foundation is. I don't think that they oh. try to enforce. And I know in Michigan, they have a different opinion regarding public schools and charter schools and et cetera. But that's not the state of things in Mississippi. Mm. And like I said earlier, um, Mississippi has a different way of doing things. So um, I don't feel like Kellogg is looked at as trying to force their ideas on us. They're just allowing us the freedom and the finances to be able to test out new ways. So end all be all with the Better Together Commission, what long lasting impact do you think they will have had on Jackson Public Schools? We are a reactionary people by nature. And the Better Together Commission has helped to establish protocols to help us be precautionary. By showing us where our strengths and our weaknesses are, we can develop plans that assist us. If our strengths are some of our veteran teachers, then we should not be, our plan should not be to encourage veteran teachers to move out of the way. Find a way to work with veteran teachers and partner them with novice teachers, since that's your strength. If your weakness is turnover, whereas novice teachers don't last three years, definitely you work your strengths together. So I think the Better Together Commission has assisted us in providing a plan to be proactive instead of reactive. Now we are going to hear from Yumika Rushing, who is the Chief Strategy Officer for the NAACP. Previously, she was a program officer at the Kellogg Foundation. She was involved in the creation of the Better Together Commission and was one of its members. She spoke to us about the foundation's relationship with the community and the value of philanthropy. How did you get the community to trust you guys? Is it because Kellogg's been in Mississippi for a long time and that base was there? Because I could see, you know, a convening group of um, this big funder coming in. Like, how do you get people to trust and, and really deeply engage and share their concerns and wants and needs? Everybody was galvanized around the issue because it was very clear that takeovers had not been successful in Mississippi or other places in the country. Uh, And so we had that going for us, if you will. I don't know that we had trust. Trust was something that we had to earn and work on over the long haul. And I'm not sure we ever got there. I think we made some progress, but we did galvanize around the issue. Mainly that um, takeover wasn't a viable option because We were clear uh, that any school district that had been taken over three to five years later was still an F district. So the long-term sort of uh, the the idea that the takeover was going to be the solve, uh, we just didn't have any evidence of that. So people galvanized around that. They liked the concept of community as the driver, community input uh, being uh, really central to what Kellogg wanted to see happen. They liked the idea of the table looking different. 
Uh, you've got the governor's office, a uh, Republican governor. You've got a Democratic mayor. Uh, you've got philanthropy. You've got business leaders, parents. So they like the idea of a more collaborative table. And they felt like this had a chance because of who was at the table, all of these differing opinions. Um, but because of the nature and the, certainly the political nature of the table, uh, I'm not sure we had trust. Um, that was something that we struggled with throughout. So we were thinking about like, what does it mean to have philanthropy step in? And while it sounds like for Kellogg, it was definitely in partnership with the state and the school district. What does it mean to have philanthropy step in and, and take a role that's typically assumed by the state? And, you know, does that help or hurt the students at the school in the long run? Yeah. So any thoughts you have on that? I, I think we don't have equitable systems. And that to achieve equitable systems, we've got to have, you know, a set of stakeholders uh, that drive that. And so I think from a sector perspective, you need government, you need business, uh, you need philanthropy. We need multiple stakeholders to help us uh, really achieve that, that goal of equity. What's great about philanthropy is that philanthropy has um, resources that would not supplement the resources that school systems already have. I think systems think about philanthropy supplementing, and that would suggest uh, you know, funding for the things that we're already doing. Uh, I think the role that philanthropy plays is really pushing systems to think about innovation uh, and you in philanthropy dollars, philanthropic dollars be really being used for the, the drive around that innovation, not just uh, how we, we implement something, but you know, where is the space and the time and, and the energy and the intentionality around thinking about what an innovation uh, is in the context of some of these systems. So certainly that is the role uh, that, my foundation was interested in playing uh, not to fund what is the status quo, but to press the issue of equity, to press the issue of racial equity, uh, to press the issue around uh, best practices uh, and learning from um, what's working in other places, innovative partnerships, um, and then to try some things on. Philanthropy also has some risk dollars that would enable us to try a thing. You know, so we did a lot of planning grants um, for the think space, but we did a lot of pilot grants uh, to try on new things. And you hope that they work, uh, but just because something worked, you know, in California doesn't mean it would work in the Mississippi context, but at least we had the risk dollars to try. Systems don't have, often have the risk dollars to try on, on new things. Uh, because they really have to account in a different way for every dollar that they receive. Uh, so I think philanthropic dollars can be leveraged differently. And that's one of the many reasons that you would want to have um, a multi-sector partnership in thinking about how some of these systems uh, become more equitable, particularly education systems for all of the children that, that we serve. Finally, Yumika spoke about how the rollout of the BTC's recommendations worked, where the funding came from, and the impact of the BTC. 
ultimately somebody had to hold uh, the solutions, right? They had to hold um, and be committed to uh, implementing those recommendations and deciding if they couldn't implement them all, how were they going to stage and phase uh, the, the things that they, they could do? And the, I think where philanthropy came into play was there was a real question around who's going to fund all this stuff? This is great. We have a report. It says we need to do 5 million things to really improve or begin to improve. You know, who is going to be our long-term partner? So Kellogg played uh, uh, a couple of roles in that. One role uh, was what components of the solve related to where Kellogg sat strategically. Uh, Kellogg focuses on very young children. And so that lends itself to the elementary work, but middle school and high school, not so much. But the study showed that there was work that needed to be done across that continuum of education and even some supports beyond high school <clears throat> to ensure um, that our kids are successful and can get into good jobs and things. So who in the landscape uh, were the part partners that could help drive these various pieces? So the second role that Kellogg played was really looking at uh, where those other partners were. Uh, there is an organization that's now called the Alliance uh, that used to be the, the stakeholder group uh, that brought funders together uh, to think about various roles out of the alliance uh, an education infinity group was formed. And so a group of funders, uh, Mississippi based and some other national philanthropy uh, that funded different things across the education continuum. And so that was a bright spot, you know, out of, out of this work that would have uh, Obviously, that was in play already, but they were very interested as a funder group uh, in the education continuum and how they could leverage collective resources. So this didn't become, uh, it wasn't just about a Kellogg partnership with the Jackson Public School District, but it became a broader um, philanthropic partnership, uh, bringing lots of stakeholders to the table traditional philanthropy and non-traditional philanthropy, the business community has a lot of resources, for example, to see what pieces of the solve could we all own and in a collective fashion uh, really drive some outcomes that we might not otherwise have been able to drive independently. So I, I appreciated that work. In terms of uh, where they are now, the school district has really taken on uh, those recommendations and they're, they've come up with um, a plan of action, if you will, and started to shift that forward. But the Better Together Commission is not meeting anymore. Uh, I think it was a short-term endeavor and it was intended uh, to, to drive us toward a positive solution to, to uh, create some partnerships uh, that were, uh, were, were unique. And then for there to be a real handoff to the school district as the owner of the thing, the next steps, with support from uh, the table, even though the table is disbanded, the members are still supporting in some way. And so some, some expectations around support from the Department of Education, some expectation around support uh, from big business, support from uh, traditional uh, philanthropy uh, and non-traditional uh, philanthropy. And then um, the Kellogg Foundation undergirded that with some resources so, over the long haul. So I think we ended up where we wanted to. 
uh, we'll, we'll call it a success for purposes of what the commission was set up to do. Certainly they ticked off the boxes. Um, but we're, the, the jury is out on whether the long-term impact will be uh, what we hoped for because there's a lot of work to be done uh, to ensure uh, that you know every child is successful, which is our ultimate goal. And it took a lot to get Jackson Public School District to where it was. There's been a lot of underinvestment in uh, these, these systems. So it's going to take a lot of time, energy, and resources uh, to um, start to get back on track. But I, I think we made some progress. Ultimately, it takes more than a single foundation to fix problems as deep as those surrounding the Jackson public school system. Students in Jackson face long odds in a tough political and economic environment for getting the education they deserve. Breaking down those barriers will require committed and clear-eyed investment. Hopefully, the collaborative approach the Kellogg Foundation pursued will turn out to be a success in the long run and lay the groundwork for truly ensuring every child succeeds. Thank you very much to our guests, Michelle Henry and Yumika Rushing. Thank you to Charles Copley for our music. Thank you to our classmates in philanthropy and social movements. A big thanks to Professor Megan Ming Francis. And of course, thank you for listening. <laughs>